years old to fourth grade, you guys can head on down uh, to Kids Church. And uh, this morning I am going to be preaching a sermon that's entitled Honor God with Your Vote. Uh, just because I'm confident that none of you have seen enough political ads on TV lately. And uh, I'm not really talking about politics. I'm not talking about red or blue. I'm talking about uh, what does the Bible say. And uh, we just want to know what the Bible says. And then um, uh, Tuesday we get to go vote. And what we want to do as a Christian, as a believer, is we want to honor God with our vote. We want to honor God with our vote. And so today I want to look at... Uh, two Bible verses uh, that can help us honor God with our vote. And uh, these two verses will show us uh, God's will for science and for the environment and for human sexuality. And the two verses are simply these two verses right here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Means God made everything and He put us on this planet. And then what's He tell us about uh, ourselves and the way we're to conduct ourselves? Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Those are the two Bible passages that we're going to look at uh, this morning. But before we look at that, um, sometimes uh, these things that we're going to talk about today are hot potatoes and, uh, and so, is it just me? Junior, is there like a high-pitched squeak going on, or is that just my brain? All right, maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe it's just me. So, um, what? <laughs> my wife's like, yeah, it's, it's just you. That's right. and so, all right, so uh, I'll be going off to get an MRI in just a few minutes. Um, hey, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this honoring God uh, with our boat. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, we live on this uh, on this planet Earth. Here, we are a part of a section of it that's known as uh, the United States of America. And uh, Father, um, you know all the things that are going on all around us. You are God, and you are in control. And uh, there's no secrets that we keep from you. Uh, Father, the world is confused and doesn't know you and um, there's a lot of messages out there that we can get tripped up by, a lot of noise. Uh, Father, dear God, just help this time that we spend, these next few minutes, uh, to make sense, to be convicting, and most of all, uh, dear God, help us to honor you with everything that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we believe that God created everything, that he made it. But our culture today is defined by uh, moral relativism and postmodernism. And maybe you've seen a little sticker like this on the back of a car. And what that stands for is equality, equality. All, all thoughts, uh, all uh, belief systems, uh, all, uh, everything is equal across the board. And that, um, that uh, all things are, are, are equal and that there's uh, really no moral view that is superior to another moral view and that all moral views are in fact valid. And um, isn't one 
uh, person's belief just as valid as another person's belief, or uh, maybe uh, even the idea that uh, the atheists carry that there is no God? Aren't there uh, beliefs and values just as uh, uh, valued or as uh, are equal to a person that believes that there is some sort of higher power that is out there? And um, and people would say that there is no God, and maybe we need to uh, listen to them because after all, the the thing that uh, is most important for all of mankind would be they would believe science. Science is at the top of man's thinking. And after all, there are uh, very famous and wise people uh, like Charles Darwin and Bill Nye and Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking that believe uh, with everything that they are that there is, in fact, no God. And so these people are extremely intelligent and aren't there uh, what they promote, what they believe and what they uh, espouse. Isn't that uh, equally valued to what everyone else might say? And they uh, have inserted that there is, these um, professors of these things that say that there is no God, they have inserted uh, that their worldview is all over in the university and in the schools. And uh, they are, they and other scientists have determined that because there is no God, and that there is no creator, and that because all things are a cosmic accident, then we must use science to uh, come to all of the best conclusions for our society. And so scientists come together and they use a great scientific um, uh, method uh, to develop a strategy. And that great scientific method is called a guess. It's called a guess. And, uh, and here's the truth about this. Now listen, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I am not anti Science, anti-science. I am not anti-science at all. Uh, I had a surgery uh, six months ago, and I wanted the best science that could possibly be applied uh, to me at the time. Uh, Here's what I know. I did not want the science of 200 years ago being applied to me when I went in for surgery. I am not anti-science. But here are some facts that we need to understand about some scientific things. Um, some people want to use science to tell us there is no God and to prove that there is no God. And so they might use a method uh, like carbon dating. Are you familiar with carbon dating? And uh, there's a carbon has a half-life, and you can kind of do some math there, and you can kind of calculate how old things are. But there are some flaws in carbon dating. There's flaws in every, every method and mechanism uh, that is used. For example, there have been um, volcanoes that have erupted, and they have watched the volcano erupt, and then they can look down, and they can see these are brand-new rocks that have just been formed as a result of that volcano just erupted, and then they'll use carbon dating, and they'll determine uh, carbon dating will show that that is, in fact, thousands and thousands of years old. And so uh, there's been incidents, uh, cases like that, that's just shown uh, inaccuracy in that. There was a, there was a watch that had been uh, dripped over in sap, and then maybe you know that sap turns into um, amber, and it was encased in amber. They did carbon dating on that, and it determined to be thousands, thousands of years old. Watches are not thousands of years old. Now listen, I'm not saying that you uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just simply saying there are some tools, and there are incidents when some of the tools that they use are inaccurate. 
accurate. Are you familiar with uh, dentrochronology? Dentrochronology is the uh, uh, measuring time by the rings uh, of a tree, right? Dentrochronologists will tell you uh, that you can't just count the rings, one, two, three, four, five, and now that's how many years it is because there are drought years, and then there are other times that the, a fire might come through and peel back an actual layer, and uh, so even a dentrochronologist will tell you maybe you can't date all things that way. There's a thing called uh, stratography, and that's where you look at uh, the different layers of the Earth's uh, uh, surface, right, uh, strata, and um, what's interesting about that is scientists have, uh, they've went into drought or uh, desert regions, and they've uh, found uh, a sea life in them, and then they uh, went into uh, places that are, uh, you know, lots of water and lots of rain and all of those kind of things, and they found desert-dwelling animals in some of the strata in there, and so that would give way to the idea of uh, the flood, a global flood, um, but there's also things that have taken place uh, scientifically. There have been volcanoes, again, that have erupted, and they have literally watched as, uh, you know, uh, millions of, of tons of, uh, of soil gets launched up into the atmosphere and it comes back down and they have literally seen uh, uh, land masses being formed by brand new volcanoes and then they go back and scientists have looked at it and they have discovered that as some of that has been right there brand new, it has landed in layers that other methods would say those methods, those layers could only take place as a result of those deposits being put into place over thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Now, again, I'm not anti-science. I'm just saying there are examples and exceptions to all of these different kinds of things that take place. I'm going someplace with this, so hang on, okay? Um, archaeology. Archaeologists have never found the missing links. Are you familiar with, uh, you know, we, we started, a, we were all, you know, pond scum once upon a time, and then we became a tadpole, and then we walked up out of there, and then we grew rings, and we flew, and then we became a monkey, and now here we are. And you look around the room and say, yep, still monkey, right? And so, But there's these, uh, the archaeologists have never found these missing transitional forms, and so they're continuing to rewrite astronomy. Um, some of you have, were living uh, before 2006, and you can remember way back in 2006 when Pluto was still a planet, right? And now Pluto is not a planet, it's a gas ball. And all I'm simply saying is that all of these forms of science are used. All of these forms of science. Listen to this. Uh, I need to... I need to just really pay attention to my notes because I'm tempted to go down a lot of rabbit trails, okay? Using these and other, using these scientific measures, methods of measuring things, using these and other um, uh, theories uh, and their hypothesis, scientists make predictions. Scientists make predictions. Listen to this. Um, um, and An acclaimed uh, ecology professor, Kenneth E. F. Watt of the University of California in 1970. He's a climatologist. He's a scientist. He's teaching at a university. He said, if present trends continue, uh, the world will be about four degrees cooler for the global mean temperature in 1990 and about 11 degrees cooler by the year 2000. That's a scientist using these measurements of tools. These measurement, these tools for measurements, okay? 
Well, you would think that 38 years after uh, 1970, we'd have better tools, better research, better blah, 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 and be able to make better predictions, right? In 2008, Al Gore, now I say his name, and that's a, that's a trigger for some people, but he, but he, um, he was backed by climatologists, he's backed by scientists, by numerous, numerous um, uh, scientists, and he said this, he, uh, he predicted, um, essentially science was predicting at the time, uh, that there was a 75, in 2008, there was a 75% chance that the entire North Pole ice cap would be completely melted within five to seven years. He said that 14 years ago. Because scientists have predicted the end of a livable planet, California Governor Gavin Newsom has passed legislation to not sell gas-powered cars after the year 2035 in California. Listen, if fossil fuels are destroying the planet, and lots of scientists have come to that conclusion, if fossil fuels are destroying the planet, the electric vehicle is not the solution. Think about these things. Electric cars are not emissions-free. Electric cars are pre-emissions emitters. Pre-emissions emitters. What's that mean? Um, uh, To make an EV, to make an electric vehicle, uh, you have to dig up about 500,000 pounds of materials. And um, one uh, electric vehicle car battery is, in order to make one electric car, one 1,000-pound battery that's an electric car, uh, requires digging up about 500,000 pounds of materials. Uh, And to mine 500,000 pounds of materials requires about 400 uh, barrels of oil in order uh, to do that. Um, 400 barrels of oil to make one car uh, electric car battery is the equivalent, 400 uh, barrels of oil, to the average uh, car that's out there in the parking lot. Uh, they'll uh, be able to travel about 112,000 miles on 400 gallons. So an electric vehicle uh, uses this, uh, puts the same amount of carbon into the air as a gas-powered vehicle for the first 112,000 miles that it is driven. And so here's some other stats. Lithium and cobalt and zinc will, in, they, those are the materials that are used to make an electric car battery, will increase in demand around 4,000% to go to all electric vehicles on the planet as we have vehicles now. There is not enough mining in the world to make the batteries for everyone to have an electric car. Now, here's the point. This presents a scientific problem of man saving the planet. However, listen to this. If the God of the Bible is true, God is in control of the planet. And the Bible says the world will come to an end, but not one second before he ends it. Second Peter chapter 3 Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Here's the truth. 
Here's the truth. Science is good. God made us with the ability to learn, and I'm glad that we do. The earth is good. We are to use it to prosper and to help each other. So, don't let your vote be swayed by anyone claiming to be able to save the planet. Make sense? So, all right, anybody... Kind of tight right now? Anybody? Anybody? It's okay. It's okay. Listen, we're going to look at two Bible verses. The first Bible verse is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if he made it, he's in control of it. If he made it, he's in control of it. But listen, not only does it say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created it all and everything in it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, A man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So God made the planet, put us on it, he put us in here, and God made Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden, and he said, this is the way that that's going to go down. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This verse is the answer to many human sexuality questions. We're going to look at some of these things. Okay, everybody, that's all right, just keep breathing. All right, we're almost done. Here we go. Three more pages. Here we go. Question. Who should a person be married to? Well, the answer is a person of the opposite sex. Okay, it's right there in the verse. There are only two genders. Fact. Some of the people who say follow the science when it comes to climate predictions will not follow the science when it comes to the definition between men and women and the differences between men and women. Here are some facts about men and women. Men, men's blood vessels um, tend to be a larger blood flows uh, blood flow is more uh, evenly distributed in the male body. Female blood is more concentrated around their core organs, uh, primarily in the reproductive area, generally. Uh, males have thicker skulls. Scientific facts. Some of you guys knew that already. No, duh. Right? Uh, females' blood contains more water and about 20% less blood, uh, red blood cells. Uh, men are better able to think uh, of objects three-dimensionally than women are. Uh, Men have more testosterone. Females have more uh, brain access to emotion because they have more connecting fiber between the right and left side of their brain. And uh, they're generally better at relationships and interpreting relationships. Now, this is why men and women should not uh, play on the same sports team. This is why men and women should be on separate sports teams because, in fact, they are different. There is no such thing as gender equality. Gender equality is a myth. Fact. 83% of students graduating with a degree in engineering are male. 83% of students graduating with an engineering degree are male. And so it is impossible for an engineering firm to hire 50% male and 50% female engineers. Gender equality is a myth. Fact. 
99% of tire repair shop workers are male. Is this a problem? Does it need to change? There's no such thing as gender equality. God says men and women are different. And we need each other. And we complement each other. Men and women are different. First question was, who should a person be married to? The answer is a person of the opposite sex. Next question. When should a person get married? When should a person get married? Well, if a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, uh, that means when should they be married? Uh, When they are old enough to move away from home. And um, that might sound obvious. However, some, some, the advocate for gender equality and transgender rights and LGBTQ rights also advocate for pedophiles to be taken off of the CDC's sexual deviant list and be renamed MAPS, simply called Minor Attracted Persons, and they advocate for lowering the age of consent. Why would they want to lower the age of consent? This is just true. There are professors and there are legislators that are pushing, pushing this legislation. That uh, you would lower the age of consent uh, because even prepubescent children are naturally sexually curious. And who better to take them through the steps of learning about sexual behavior than an adult that would be able to help them mature and nurture and learn about sexual activity. And there's nothing wrong with that and that's not deviant. And that is the thinking that comes from certain uh, groups. There's a, a professor here that thinks that we should uh, change the minor attracted. Um, there's um, a legislation in California to lower the, uh, uh, the age of uh, consent. And, and so who um, or when should a person get married? Uh, not until they're old enough to leave the home. And why would you want to sexualize uh, children? Why would you want to do that? It's, it's wrong. And so when should a person get married when they're old enough uh, to leave the house? Next question. Who should be one flesh? Okay, uh, the idea of one flesh is being engaged in sexual activity and who should do that? And the answer is um, a male with a female and a female with a male. Uh, the Bible says, Leviticus, uh, do not have sexual relationships uh, with a man as one does uh, with a woman. It's not right with God, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 26, uh, God gave them over to their shameful lusts, and uh, their women exchanged natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. And so that's why the Bible says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and then they will become one flesh. And so begs this question, when should one be one flesh? When should one be uh, one flesh? And the answer is after marriage, after marriage. Now, listen, um, in our culture today, um, uh, with, uh, you know, the advent of the, uh, uh, the internet and the cell phone and uh, our culture is more sexualized than it's ever been before. Um, the uh, the average age of uh, 
uh, children being exposed to pornography, as uh, scientists have it between the age of 9 and 10 as their first exposure uh, to uh, regularly viewing pornography. Um, it's, it's everywhere. It's, our culture is way over-sexualized. And um, so how does one go about teaching uh, kids not to be involved in sexual activity? And um, my wife came across this information a long time ago, and she told me about it, and then I shared it with my daughters. And so I want to share it. I want to share it with you. And um, um, so how do you take up the idea of trying to communicate to your junior high kids and to your high school kids? Um, how do you communicate to them to show some restraint and to not be involved in sexual activity? How do you do that? Well, um, what I did is uh, I took a, uh, uh, a styrofoam cup I took a styrofoam cup. I think if you punch it one more time, there you go. Um, took a styrofoam cup. And uh, I said to my daughters, um, hey, uh, how do we use a styrofoam cup, right? We, uh, w- what's that for? Um, we uh, put liquid in it, and uh, you drink it. And, uh, you know, uh, when we're done with that, do we, you know, do we usually put it in the dishwasher and then put it back up on the shelf or, you know, no, you, it's kind of a one-time use deal and then you get rid of it, right? You just kind of use it once and, and you get rid of it. And that's, that's the way a styrofoam cup is used. And you need to understand how a styrofoam cup is used. I want my daughters to really understand it. I want my son to understand um, uh, uh, the uh, purpose and meaning of a styrofoam cup. It's important to their, uh, to their growing up and to their life. And then I, I took a regular glass. Uh, out of the, uh, the, went into the kitchen, pulled one out of the, and I, I said, regular glass, right? You understand what a regular glass is. And uh, we use it. Uh, we always know where it goes. You know, when we're done with putting the dishwasher, take it out of the dishwasher, put it up on the shelf. And we know where it's at all the time. And we use it regularly. We use it regularly. We always know where it's at. We go and we get it. And we use it up. We, you know, we use it. Before, and uh, it's always there. It's dependable. It's reliable. We, we, don't, we don't need to go anywhere else and get anyone else because uh, it's always there and it's always reliable, always dependable. We just we can use that glass, right? And then I went and uh, got some of uh, Great Grandma's China. Great Grandma's China. And, and uh, you know, that lives forever with you, right? You can't ever get rid of that, right? So I went and got some of Great Grandma's China. And I said, when... When do we use this, right? And uh, said, the only time we use this, you know, it's usually Thanksgiving or Christmas, and, and we put it out on display. And everybody comes over, and they look at it and go, oh, the china's so nice, it's so beautiful, right? And because it's old and it's delicate, you can't put it in the dishwasher. When you get done using it, you have to, take, you have to, uh, you have to hand wash it, you know, fill up the sink with the suds and the bubbles and the whole thing. You've got to hand wash it, hand dry them, set them over here. And then, and then they go back in the china cabinet where they're, they're valuable and they're precious and they're on display. And I told, I told my girls, I said, uh, there are boys that uh, you're going to look at and you're going to think, hey, they're pretty cute. And they're going to come up and they're going to be nice to you. And you need to think about who you're going to spend time with. So do you want this boy to treat you like a styrofoam cup? Because there are boys, they're going to want to treat you like a styrofoam cup. They're going to want to use you once and throw you away. So do you want a boy that's going to take advantage of you and take you for granted 
He's going to use you like every day. Yeah, I know you're there, and you know it doesn't matter how uh, the rest of my day is going. You're always going to be there, and and I can come and I can use you when I need you, and I can just kind of. I said, you want to find a man that's going to treat you like fine china. He's going to value you. He's going to respect you. He's going to hold you in the highest regard. He's going to treat you like you're special and you're valuable. We can't turn the culture around Maybe we can communicate well with our kids. When should you become one flesh? Not till after you're married. Not till after you're married. Doesn't it just kind of even sound weird to say that in our culture today? Oh, you should wait for marriage. It almost sounds weird. But God knows best. It says, a man will leave his father and his mother, and then they will be united to his wife, and then they will become one flesh. Well, one flesh makes babies. What about the baby? What about the baby? Book of Psalms, chapter 139, verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Here's some pictures of some babies. You realize that as soon as conception takes place, as soon as the egg is fertilized, there is a brand new DNA. Brand new. Their own DNA. It's their own roadmap. It's who they are. Already it's determined what their fingerprints are going to look like and what their retina is going to look like and and how tall they're going to be. And and everything about them is already imprinted in them in their DNA as soon as conception takes place. And then think about these things. Picture, I think there's a picture up here of a five-week-old. Yeah, there's a five-week-old. And listen to this. At at ten weeks, let me get, I got to find this here. I want to make sure I get it right. At 10 weeks, all of the body's organs are being, beginning to develop, and some are even beginning to function. And by 20 weeks, you can already make out facial features, as you can see on this picture here. Here's the point. God is pro-life. God is pro-life. We want to honor God with our vote. God is pro-life. But here's... Here's what else we know. Um, Abortion is real. It's around us. It happens. Um, Here's what we need to understand. Science is real. It's good. We're going to lean on it. Uh, We're going to look to it. We want to understand it. But science isn't without its flaws. You do the best you can. Uh, We try to go through life, and uh, God gives us instruction as to how to do life. God says, don't be involved with sexual things until you're married. But you you look around at the culture today, and and you know, that's not the way that works. God says, "Uh, wait until you're married before you involve in sexual activity. You, You look around, and you know, God says, don't even live together before, but you look around, and... 
then God says, don't have an abortion, and, and you look around, and here's the facts. Probably everybody, every, every one of us in the room, you, it might be you. Maybe you know people. They lived together before they got married. You know that. Um, people had sex before they were married. We know people, and maybe, maybe that was you, and you know that. And maybe you're the one that had the abortion and, and you know that or you know somebody that's had that. But here's what you need to know. There's a God. He tells us what is best. He tells us what is best and it's real clear when we look at it why it's best. And we run. God says, Come on back to the starting line. We're going to start another lap. And throughout Scripture, God starts new laps. Everybody, all the time. David, 2 Samuel, he was guilty of having Uriah killed and having an adulterous affair. God reset it with David. The woman caught in adultery. Scholars say, you know, maybe she was a prostitute. And if she was a prostitute, she had probably maybe given birth to several children. And in that culture, in that day, it would not have been uncommon for her to literally have the baby and take and sacrifice the baby to a pagan god. And how did God deal with her? I forgive you. I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. One of Jesus' best friends was Peter. Peter said, I'll stand up for you. I'll, I'll always have your back, Jesus. And sure enough, he's turning his back and cussing people out and saying, I never don't even know the guy. And the Bible is filled with people that are just like us, broken sinners that need a Savior. Broken sinners need a savior we need Jesus the world needs Jesus God wants us to honor him with our vote and with all that we are I don't know what lap you're on I don't know where you are in your life But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you've never been baptized into him, I'd really like to have that conversation with you. If you know who Jesus is, live your life honoring him. Reset. Go. Let's pray. God in heaven.